Well, let's talk about decision-making. And this is the last of the Thin Places series. And it's only Thin Places kind of tangentially, but I'm, I'm decided we'll just name it that anyway. Making decisions. And it's, uh, I told Marion, I said, ooh, how ironic that the Sunday I'm talking about how to make decisions, you, we have to announce your decision. I uh, just wish you'd heard this sermon earlier. You could have corrected such a train wreck. But anyway, um, <laughs> wait, wait, that came out. That came outside. That, all right, anyway. Um, we often fail to make right decisions because we assume it's possible to make no decision. Joel, chapter 3 Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the winepress is full and the vats overflow so great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Joel's talking there about there's a time that the sickle comes. There's a time that the harvest comes and you stand there in the middle of it all and you don't make a decision. You will be trampled and cut. I've had so many people say, well, we've not made a decision yet. And I've said, yes, you, you have. You've made a decision. And saying that you haven't is just a way of saying, I, I don't want to live up to it. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live life. This is up to you guys. Make a decision. Sometimes we allow ourselves, uh, we make a wrong decision because we allow ourselves to take upon the metrics and the standards and the definitions of the world. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't make decisions based upon the same criteria that are laid out in business or in popular business or self-help books. We have a different set of standards, and for that, we have to have the community and we have to have our scripture. And they have to be working together with the Holy Spirit of God for us to make the right decisions. And by the way, um, Marion and Tim worked through weeks and weeks of this with community and scripture and prayer. And I, as she came to me and I realized what was about to happen as she was talking, she was starting early in the story to try to bring me along. It was almost like I was born on a Tuesday, you know, but she got, she got there. I saw it coming and I said, you know, I've said goodbye many times and I understand what you're going through. She goes, this is my first time. And I said, well, it's, it, I understand and I, I appreciate your decision-making process. She made a good decision. Hard for us, but we understand this. Sometimes we make bad decisions because we're consumeristic. We join a church like we join a favorite store. If they don't have what we like, we'll just go get a different store, a different church. Sometimes we make wrong decisions because we listen to the wrong people. We fail to see the world's influence in our lives and our own herd instinct. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. How serious is this? 
If you want to be received by God, you've got to step away from some things that the world wants you to be involved in. You have to become separate. Now, Paul made it very plain that he was not asking us to do somewhat, perhaps like the Amish, where we withdraw into our own communities. No, we are to be separate in attitude, separate in decision, separate in action. We don't do things that way because we are this people, separated from them. Sometimes we make bad decisions because we're still flirting with the world. We haven't really committed to this marriage with Christ. Now, that's something which is, I've, I've noticed through the years, and, and, it, and it, it concerns me, is that I will see people flirting, especially in business, in the business environment, and I'm going, you know, that's, um, no, that's not acceptable. And I can remember one time Cammie came home from just going to Panera, and she said, there was this very nice man in line, and he asked me if I was seeing anybody at the present. And I, and I said, who, who was he? Where does he live? Uh, where are his children, and where are his fields? For we shall plow them under and salt them. And, and, but she wouldn't tell me. She wouldn't tell me. You know, I, I couldn't, couldn't blame somebody. You know, flirt. Well, I did blame him. Uh, anyway, I understand the impulse. I understand that. We, we need to understand. I, I don't flirt with the world because I'm married to God. I've got to withdraw myself a bit. We need to remember nature's not neutral. And when I teach science level stuff up at Ohio State or elsewhere, this is something which everybody hears repeatedly. Nature is not neutral. No matter what you do, there is a response. There is a consequence. Everything has a consequence. One of the things that we have done to damage our children, and it's not the children's fault, it's not teens' fault, teens are brilliant, we often remove consequences from behavior. And because of that, the behavior continues and it intensifies. There must be consequences. What one person does affects another and another and another. You'll have people, and, and perhaps you've even said this, it's my life. Kinda, but not really. It's all of our lives. If you decide to abuse your body with drugs and you overdose, somebody who didn't make that decision has to come in where you are, see this, clean it up, take care of everything, deal with the grieving family, all of that, and they've got to get up the next morning and live. What you did affected others. We don't live in a zero-sum universe, but we don't live in a neutral universe either. And I'd love to explain that, but that would be on science, and I've got other things to say today. You've he heard, perhaps, that a butterfly wings might, across the universe, might, or across the world, rather, might cause a hurricane over here. It's not like that. But everything has impact, even observation. I'll freak you out with this little bit of science and then I'll go away from it, I promise. But uh, particles spin in two different directions. We have noticed, we have seen that looking at them changes their spin. We have no idea how. Don't get freaky here and think, I can create reality. No, you can't. No, reality will, will whoop you in the head if you, if you think this. Uh, but even observing things changes things. And then remember this, 
we often don't make this, the right decisions because we forget what the cost is. Back when I did a counseling practice, I would often say, I could probably stop adultery if I just could have people come sit in my office for a couple of weeks and hear the pain it has caused. Once they see that pain, that shiny bet kind of goes away. We often don't think, think of, the, think of the price you're paying right now for sin in the world. We have to maintain a military at great cost. We lock our doors. We have to put fences around our homes. We have to put fences around our attitudes too. We have to pay attention as we're walking. We, we worry about this. The, all of these things we do because there is sin in the world, if we didn't have to do that, we'd all be rich. When do we decide not to play their game anymore? When do we decide we're not going to give aid and comfort to the enemy? We're going to step back and make the right decisions. So in your bulletin insert are a list of these. I may get to all of them. I may not because this would be a bit of a shocker to some of you, but not everything I do up here is planned. Um, <clears throat> it sometimes hits the weeds, but we're going to work at this. One of the first things, when you realize that you want to do something, you want to go somewhere, you want to buy something, you want to change your life in any way, you need to ask who in the world is influencing you. Because somebody is. Who is when I was going through uh, school, I've always loved cars. I've always loved cars. Uh, I can remember as we were leaving uh, America, we were just married uh, not long before, we were going to leave America and go, go back to Scotland. And the, uh, the elders that were there that were going to oversee what we were doing, they said, well, you're going to need a vehicle of some sort, aren't you? And I said, yes. And they said, well, we don't know British vehicles. What would you need? <clears throat> That wasn't a good question. So I said, I, I need a Turbo Lotus Esprit. <laughs> and they just looked at me because they knew me. And I said, no, we're all agreeing that it's important to reach the lost in Scotland very fast. <laughs> they gave me enough money to buy a, and I'm not making this up, a two-cylinder, 27-horsepower uh, French car. Every time it came to a light and there was a German car, it surrendered. It was awful. <laughs> Had dents in the back from where dogs that chased us caught us. Uh, surprised the dogs, too, you know. Oh, you know, uh, they, they, but that's all I had. And, and yet I've always loved cars. I've always loved cars. Now, growing up, when I was in school, the car guys were the cool guys. They were the guys that skipped class. They knew all about stuff like engines, because <laughs> cars have those, I, I think. Uh, and and they, they, all of this, they, they knew all this. And I wanted to be like one of those car guys until I noticed something. Every single one of them were skipping enough classes that when they graduated, they weren't able to afford a good car. And the jobs they got didn't ever, was never going to put a good car on the horizon for them. And I realized, if I follow them, am I, going, am I going to be happy ending up where they are? I love to read music history. It just fascinates me. But I've told my wife repeatedly, 
why don't they learn? Why don't they ever learn from all of the others who've gone before? Don't do the drug thing. Don't do the shady deal thing. But every single one of them, it just seemed, and I'm, I, that's, that's a horrible stereotype. I'm aware of that. But when you're reading, uh, especially in rock and roll and uh, country music, please. Uh, and it's, country, I, I, country music, I know a lot of fans here, but just think about this. Songs about adultery and drinking, and then when they get up at the CMT, they thank Jesus for the song. And I'm going, eh, I don't think that's where you got it. Uh, I think there might have been another river that flowed into there. But um, anyway, do you want to be like this? Do you want to end up like this? Then if you don't, don't make those decisions. Do you want to go where those people are going? Quack story, may have told it before. I can drive left side of the road, right side of the road. I'm the part, uh, Cammy and I are the person, people in Williamson County that know what to do at a roundabout. Uh, I, uh, we used to own a plane, and I, I, can, I, I could at that time fly the plane at that time. Now, no, forget it. Never come back. Do you know how to fly a plane? Nope, never seen one. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, but I, we did. I've driven big trucks. I've, I've, uh, I've done ships, buses. I don't know what it is. I just can't figure them out. I've tried. Do not come up to me and explain it to me. I have no interest anymore. I'm done. I can remember once I was 17 years old. I was in uh, Glasgow, the biggest city in Scotland. I had to go into town to do some work. So I had some friends from East Kilbride that took me in. Now, East Kilbride's a neighboring town. They took me in. I did, and they said, how are you going to get back? And I said, no problem. I'll take a bus. This is before I knew I couldn't. And so they, they said, oh, fine. And, they, and so at the end of the day, I came to a bus stop. They're everywhere. Stood beside this wee man, and I said, what bus do I get to go to East Kilbride? He'll say, oh, you'll be what in the 32. And so evidently, he was from around Carnuste. Uh, 32. And I went, all right, fair enough. So I got on the 32. Now, what he didn't tell me was that I had three stops, and he had to get off to get the 13, and then take it for four stops, and then get off and get the 21. So I stayed on the 32. And we kept riding and riding, and every time we stopped, people got off, but nobody was getting on. Eventually, the bus driver got off. <laughs> I said, right, I'm getting off. It's embarrassing to walk about saying, what village am I in? Could you point to where East Kilbride is? But I learned something. Don't get on a bus if you don't want to go where it's going. Before you start that argument, before you make that decision, before you go with that person, before you open your wallet, before, where is this going? Do you want to go where this, per, this is going to take you? This is a bus. Every attitude is a bus. My son once told me when he was in high school, he said, I don't really get it. Why all my friends constantly fight with their parents? That can't make for an easy life. <laughs> I wanted to reach over and just you know, pat him, uh, going, well, that was brilliant. He realized, no, that's not going to get me where I want to go. Think about it. Let's say I come home, and by the way, this has never happened, and so I just need to stress that. I come home, uh, the house is in disorder. That would never happen, seriously. When she's gone to Texas, if I drop a piece of paper, she, there's a disturbance in the force. You know, so I don't, 
this is a made-up story. So I come in, house is in dis disorder, Cammie's over there wearing a robe and the pink fluffy things which she doesn't own, and uh, I have to keep stressing this. And I, I'm hungry and I'm tired and I would like to have dinner and I'm thinking that's not gonna happen. How am I gonna get dinner and rest? Well, how about yelling at her? Will that get me rested in dinner? No, Papa John's might. I can make a phone call and I can have it brought here and I can sit and rest and be fed a food-like substance. Are you willing to go where this is gonna take you? And the next question, who in the spirit is influencing you. As I say to you repeatedly, we are not alone in the universe and not everything out there likes us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. A man was in my office with his wife. She was a beautiful woman. She was crying because he was just not satisfied with her. And he was complaining. And I, I was listening because that's what you do. And then he called her a name. And I, I reached, I just overhead and banged my desk as hard as I could. And everybody jumped a little bit. Now, he was, big. he was a weightlifter by hobby, so I'm figuring, all right, as long as I can, he, he can't lift his arms this far, but I, 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 I can think I can outrun him through the door. Uh, he has to turn sideways. And so I, I looked at him, I said, who gave you that word? And he froze for a minute, and he goes, well, I, well it's just, and he started to try to complain. He went, nope, nope, we're not going anywhere. Who gave you that word? And he says, well, I... I I was just upset, and I went, no, 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 we're, I'm not letting you do that. English has more words than any other language by almost a factor of two. English is a, a language that just grows and takes on other words. You have so many words. Who gave you, who are you listening to? Because I think if we can find out who gave you that word, we're going to find out why you aren't happy with this woman, because you're listening to something. You're listening to something out there. And it is not God, and it is not you. Where is that coming from? Do we often remember enough that we are not alone? How about this? Are your, are your, are your reasons for wanting to do this valid and reasonable? Could you argue your case before the throne of God? Job chapter 40, the Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I'll say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? How many times people rail at God and I'm going, uh-oh, you don't contempt, condemn God to justify you. That is not going to end well. Are your reasons for wanting to do what you're about to do reasonable and valid? Think about this. Again, counseling situation. Parents came and threw their 17-year-old daughter in. Basically, fix her, we'll be back in an hour. And I uh, hate that. 
Anyway, um, now if you're thinking, oh, you're not supposed to hate. Yeah, you can. Uh, and she's sitting there just, Aff. so I'm just looking at her. She's looking anywhere but me. I said, so, what's the thing? And she goes, I hate my parents. At that time, I was kind of on her side, but I didn't say. I just, <laughs> all right, all right, said, what have they done now? She said, they won't let me date Bob. I went, what? And she kind of looked at me. I said, Bob, Bob? they won't let you date Bob? What? what, are, why, why, why won't they let? And she goes, do you know Bob? I went, no, but. <laughs> why won't they let you date Bob? And she said, well, just because he's not a Christian. I went, oh, why do you want to date Bob? And she goes, well, I don't know. I said, no, hang on. Is Bob good looking and kind of popular? She goes, I guess. I said, Who do, we can call if we need to call somebody to validate. She goes, no, he's, he's good looking and popular. Went, Great, good, good. Um, why do you want to date him? And she actually said, well, how are people ever going to be Christians if we're not around them? Oh, so it's not really a date. It's an evangelistic ploy. <laughs> We're going to sneak up on him. And after the movie, he's going to say, would you like to go to Wendy's or something? And you're going to say, well, yeah, but why don't we, we walk through the church building on the way, and then you're going to trip him and put him in a baptistry? I mean, what's the plan? <laughs> How often what I want to do could be pulled apart that easy? If you can't argue it in front of God, and the most bizarre, and I had several, most bizarre couple I ever had come into my counseling office, sat down, and what's, I said, what's going on? She goes, he goes, we argue about everything. She goes, yes, we do. Can you give me examples? Oh, it's just everything, everything. We did this for like 10 minutes, and that's eight years in counseling time. It was painful. They were agreeing about everything, but saying they fought over everything. I said, all right, fair enough. When you leave here, will you complain and fight with each other sometime during the day? Oh, I'm certainly will. Yes, certainly. Okay. Uh, back in the day, we had cassette recorders, and I said, do you have one of those? I'm sure we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's in the closet. Yes, it is. I mean, it was just bizarre. So I said, would you record an argument? Because I need to hear your arguments. Well, I think we can do that. No problem. So they went off. Next week came in. They were very nervous and antsy. On the, on, I'll just cut to the chase here. They hadn't recorded anything because whenever one grabbed the recorder, the other one shut up. <laughs> hey, people, you can't argue in front of me. Why are you arguing in front of God? Don't you realize God's in the house? We actually had to have them set another place at the table like Jews often do at certain religious holidays to represent that's where God is sitting because they couldn't remember. Can you, if you can't argue this in front of God, stop it. Back away from it. Does this decision honor my pledge of allegiance and lifelong loyalty to Jesus? That's what we pledge every, every Sunday or however often during the week you take the Lord's Supper. Or when you're baptized, you have pledged allegiance to it. I've heard people say that Jesus' army is, is made up of volunteers, and I've, I've kind of cringe at that, because you're volunteering to join, but once you're in, you're not volunteering. I've had people say, we have a volunteer military, and I'm saying, no, 
you had a voluntary recruit. Once they're in, it's not voluntary. The sergeant doesn't come in and say, right, um, if it's okay with you, if you're feeling a tad aggressive. Um, there are some tanks coming. I don't want to bother you, but um, it doesn't work this way. Put it this way. If Jesus were in your shoes, would he make the same decision? Would he be comfortable with this? Would he, be, would he go where you're going and be with you while you do this? Will doing this advance his cause? Or will it hurt it? People, I don't know where that is on the numbers, but one of their top reasons why more people don't go to church is Christians and the way they act out there, dishonoring God. Read the Old Testament, how many times the people came to God concerned about God's reputation, saying, how can we do this and hurt his name? We can't do this. His, his reputation is on the line. Look at Matthew 5. I've asked this to become out of the message. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. By the way, at this stage, that's not a translation. It's a commentary, but it's still pretty good. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Isn't that a cool way to put that passage? I thought it really was. Are you going to be like God and God's people? And will they see that in you? If you do this, go there, whatever it is. If it's a go there, we always talk to our kids. And I know some people would say this is very paranoid, but we are very security conscious. I always taught them, you never enter a room unless you have a plan to get out of the room. My, my son grew up to be a Marine and an INTJ, if you're Myers-Briggs, which we could talk about the validity of this, but there it is. And he has a, a little poster meme that he every now and then posts saying, INTJ, where you are polite, uh, you are at ease in social situations, but you also have a plan to kill everybody in the room. And I'm going, maybe not that far. <laughs> but do you know how you're getting out of here? Young ladies, uh, this is very important because men you trust can, can become uh, predators awfully fast. What is your out? What is your way to get out of the situation? Jeremiah 6, 16, please. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. Walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. God's saying, this will work. But we are such slow learners. We'll say, oh, we're opposed to drink and driving. But we sell cold alcohol at the store and bars have parking lots. We act like we can't learn. 
how has this ever worked out good for us? Whatever situation you're looking at, if you're going into it, will you control yourself and that situation? And if you cannot control yourself, be honest about it. By the way, if you, are, if you throw a fet every time the world or God says no to you, maybe it's because you can't control yourself and you should be thanking God for saying no. If, it's, if you're throwing a fet, you know, throwing a fet's fine for a little one. I think my daughter was, Kata was probably two, two and a half years old. And um, I guess you'd have to be nearly uh, three or so, maybe three or four because we were in America. And we were in a Kroger and, you know, going down and she decided to throw a fet. I don't know where she saw it or uh, figured this out, but it surprised me. She just fell down, started squalling and yelling and kicking. I didn't say anything. I just stopped, leaned on the cart, and watched her. It's entertaining. <laughs> I'm not going to feed the fire. I'm just going to watch. Other people would come around, look. I'm saying, just go on. It's fine. It's fine. Physics. She'll run out of energy. It's on. Some thermodynamics at play. Behold science. Uh, and they, they would normally move on. After a while, she got tired. She looked up at me. I said, you done? She goes, yeah. I said, okay, let's go. Last one. Last one she threw. Why? It doesn't work. It doesn't get attention. It doesn't get where she wanted to go. If it doesn't get where you're wanting to go, stop it. Do something else. It's not like, well, I couldn't find Interstate 40, so I went up I-20 twice. It doesn't work. <clears throat> I've had people all my life say, well, <clears throat> you're being awful strict on this thing, saying only Jesus. You know something? If that's the door, let's acknowledge the door. Instead of saying, you can go out of this burning house any way you like to. Now, there's only one door. Oh, I'm sorry, that seems to be a bit judgmental. No, it's not judgmental. It's reality. We deal with reality. Oh, so much more. Why do we always look for the limits? <clears throat> this is going to be a hard one because for anybody here, let's say under 40, this was a strange world. But back in the D, in the 60s, men started to rebel by growing their hair long. And the men, immediately preachers started preaching against it. And they would preach, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And they'd go, and we, in fact, I remember he sent me to Freed Hardeman which is, um, I, I, the dorm I stayed in was Stalag 13. And, and <laughs> on day one, they marched us into the old administration hall, and we're all sat there, and they all, they read these laws to us about behavior and the like. And for me, uh, for guys, they were saying, your hair can't touch the top of your ears, your collar, or your eyebrows. I'm looking around all the pi pictures they've got of Campbell and Stone, and thinking, none of them could get in here including Freed and Hardeman. And uh, that, that, was not a, well, that was not a welcome observation. Um, but I can remember when I was a young man sitting in a pew and the guys would be railing against long hair. And you'd have always one or two guys go, but what's long? And I knew that's the wrong question. Regardless of how valid this is, it's not like how short is too short. And how deep is too deep? And how long is too long? No, no. You don't say, how far can I go from God? 
That doesn't work that way. What if I'd gone up to Cammy the week or so after we were married and said, all right, so we're married. We did the wedding. Um, I need a list of the minimum requirements to stay in this thing. <laughs> Do you think we would have made it 39 years? I don't think I'd have made it to the door. <laughs> you don't look for the limits. You run to God. He loves us lavishly. Let's return the favor. Let's love each other lavishly. Let's go over the top. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Be drunk with the Spirit. We're to act so crazy in love with God and, and, and his people that it seems like we're drunk to the world, irrational to the world. Look at Luke 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How much do you give? This is not a prosperity gospel. Please understand. It's not, you give God a hundred, he's going to... No, please, that's, that's repulsive. He's saying, you live a life of giving and love, and you share yourself, and you put it on the line for other people. Heaven knows what you've done. Heaven will reward you. It may not be with the, the latest car, but really, why would you want a car instead of life with Jesus forever? By the way, you can still get a new car. And I'll still go, cool, because I think they're cool. But uh, ask who's influencing your choice. I mean, there's so much more I want to do here. Normally, when I work with teens and such, this is like an hour and a half. But it's all based on questions. Jesus and God ask questions. What did God do at the first fall? He showed up in, in Eden, and he goes, now, where are you? He starts the questions. Who influences your choices? You might be surprised if you looked into it. I, uh, I can remember I got a part-time job as uh, working on a radio station, rock and roll radio station when I was a teenager. That was fun, so it was. But back in the day, they had records. These were flat petroleum products with grooves in them. And uh, uh, you stuck a needle in them, and they sang. Um, then the records would come in, some would be stamped for play, and others stamped not for play. It was already decided by the record companies what song was going somewhere. And I found out it wasn't teenagers that were deciding what music was popular. It was a bunch of old guys sitting around in suits in a room deciding. And we thought we were rebelling against the system. We were eating the system, and it was eating us. Who's influencing you? And is that influence for your good or for theirs? Kind of like those people on TV that'll say, we, uh, we found this protein in a jellyfish that'll help you remember. <clears throat> no, it won't. But it really helps the jellyfish. Leave them alone. But then they'll say, we did this for you. No, they didn't. They did it so you'd give them money. Come on. Now, you can decide to buy the thing if you want to. Uh, you can decide to, you know, GM did not make a car for me. They made a car for them. You get what I mean? As long as you understand the transaction, then you can understand the cost to make a decision. Are you hiding or revealing your Lord? I'm sorry, but when I was a teenager, being a Christian was kind of like being a spy because nobody talked about it. You could open up your locker and somebody else look in and go, is that a Bible? Maybe. 
And they look at you and say, you're a Christian? Yeah, so am I. It was like two spies meeting in Moscow. <clears throat> are we trying to hide Jesus or are we revealing him? What am I putting into my brain? What, remember, what you watch, what you put into your brain, what you listen to becomes an attitude and then an action. That's a truism. You cannot fight biology, people. It's the way it works. When you have to choose your friends, who will you choose first? Jesus or the one that will pull you from him? As the great theologian Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Who gets to draw? i got to step off here. Mark, or I'll never get down. No, that's not true. The Bills and Schraders will form an alliance. Um, <laughs> you think I don't know you're sneaking up on us with all this multiplying baby thingies. I'm watching you. Anyway, why don't we all just stand so we can get out of here eventually? <laughs> Who gets to draw the lines on your life? Who gets to draw the limits on your life? Is it the people of the world that have made a royal mess of the world, frankly? Is it the people around you who continually stumble and grieve and hurt? Or is it Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who gets to draw the lines and the Holy Spirit that fills you up and gives you the energy to move forward? Who decides your go, don't go? Every flight in the military, there's a go, don't go. Every shot, there's a go, don't go. Who decides what your go, don't go is? Who decides what your heart will feel? Who decides your decisions? Who decides who you are? We choose Jesus. We believe in Jesus. And we've got 10,000 reasons why, so let's sing. 